everybody. It's good to see all of you. It's good to be back in worship with everyone. I hope you're excited to be here. I hope you're excited to be in God's Word. I'll tell you, uh, in preparing the sermon, it was such a huge personal encouragement to me. These scriptures will be in today. And so I'm really looking forward to sharing that with you. Um, to get our minds working this morning, to get our gears turning, I want to start by asking a few questions. What aspect of the Christian faith would you consider most important? What aspect of your faith in God or Christianity would you consider most important? I bet if we went around the room and took a poll and asked everyone, we'd get a variety of answers. Some may say preaching and teaching. Some may say missions. Some may say uh, worship or the community aspect of Christianity. Uh, I'm sure most of us would land somewhere around knowing God as our Father through the person and work of Jesus Christ, knowing the gospel of salvation through Christ, and living in light of its truth and power. But I'll ask another question. What is most important about this gospel message of salvation through Christ that we proclaim to the world? What's most important about that? For example, during Christmas, what do we celebrate? We celebrate the Incarnation, God, the second person of the Trinity, becoming a human to save and redeem his people. Often we talk about Christ's sinless life and what that means for us. We talk about Christ's righteousness given to us in exchange for our sinfulness on the cross. The gospel has been compared to a diamond. Like a diamond is a singular object that has many different faces which we can turn and focus our gaze upon to appreciate its beauty. The same is true with the gospel. There's many different aspects which we can focus on to appreciate its beauty and celebrate and worship God and learn from. But are there truths of this gospel diamond that shine particularly bright? How often do you find yourself thinking about the resurrection? of Christ. How important is it to you? Is it important? What does it mean for us? If you're like me, I really only think about the resurrection during Easter, and it's a wonderful truth that we celebrate, but I don't quite understand its mystery. Uh, we see Jesus in the Gospels living and performing miracles and teaching, and then he lays down his life as a sacrifice for sin, and then miraculously, three days later, he comes back to life. And it's a beautiful bow on the end of his ministry here. Is it that just a part of the story, or is it more? As we'll see today, the resurrection was a cornerstone in the preaching and teaching of the early church. It was an incredible truth that the early Christian church held onto, and it shaped their whole lives. So that's where we're headed today. We're going to dive into God's Word, into a very famous section of Scripture that's a go-to for unpacking the implications and significance of Christ's resurrection. So, and we're going to look at five truths of the resurrection from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles with you, and, uh, or if you have your phones and you'd like to follow along with us, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And as you're getting there, you may have also picked up a half sheet as you came in with some fill-in-the-blank and some memory verses. Don't let that intimidate you, though. Um, if you're like me, you drag into church on Sunday morning and all you want to do is get a cup of coffee or if you're like my wife, an Earl Grey tea, whatever that is, 
and just relax and hear the Word of God and be refreshed. So if that's where you are today, hold on to that half sheet and go back and check out those verses on your own time. So let's start off with some brief context to set the stage. 1 Corinthians, chapter, or 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul in the first century, roughly 20 to 25 years after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension back to the Father. Uh, written by the Apostle Paul in, to the church in Corinth, which is located in Greece. After about a year of preaching, teaching, sharing the gospel, building up the church and its leadership, Paul moves on in his missionary journey, and he finds himself in Ephesus. And he begins to hear negative reports about various issues within the Corinthian church, troubling reports, issues from divisions within the church, sexual immorality, um, issues with corporate worship, issues with doctrinal and theological confusion, like confusion over the resurrection. And so Paul writes this letter to rebuke to correct and ultimately point the Corinthian Christians back to Jesus Christ. So after 14 long chapters of doing this, of addressing these issues, Paul here in chapter 15 pauses to remind the Corinthians of the initial gospel message which was preached to them, which they received and became followers of Christ. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 15, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So the first thing I want to point out here is just how profoundly short, concise, and yet powerful that sentence is, that gospel summary that Paul states here. Um, I am constantly blown away by the children in our church, just how intelligent they are. They are way smarter than I was at their age. I think about Lundy. I think about little Harlan here, which he had an awesome cowboy hat on this morning. Um, very jealous of that. I think about Sam and Danielle's little girls, and especially, if you want to feel dumb, spend some time with the Hughes boys, and that's exactly what I did several months ago. I was at Kelly and Joseph's house having dinner with Joseph and Waldo and the boys, and I look over to Asriel, and I say, Asriel, what are you learning in school right now? And he says, I'm learning Spanish. And like a fool, I say, como estas? Now, I don't even know what that means. I just heard it on TV. And to my surprise, he starts ripping off full sentences in Spanish. And then I look over to Joseph, and Joseph's speaking in Spanish to Asriel. And then Joseph starts speaking in Spanish to Waldo. Waldo starts speaking to Spanish to Joseph and Asriel. And then I look over to little Gideon, who's less, or less than two years old. He was probably one years old at this point. And you know what he did? Absolutely nothing. He just looked at me with eyes like this, sucking his thumb. And I'm like, I know, buddy. I have no idea what's going on either. But my point is, is if we were to ask our children here, based on the faithfulness of God, based on the faithfulness of their parents, and based on the faithfulness of all of you, their church family, what did Jesus do for you? 
I bet they could give an answer very similar to what Paul says here. Jesus, he died for me. He died for my sins. He, he was buried, and three days later, he came back. And that's why we celebrate Easter. And why is that? That's because God is so wise that he's designed this gospel to be, it can be summarized in one short, powerful sentence that Paul can insert here in chapter 15 to remind the Corinthians what they first believed. It can be taught and repeated by our children. And yet, if you turn back one book in your Bible to the book of Romans, it's a lengthy discourse unpacking the gospel and many truths. And so I just wanted to stop and praise God for his wisdom there, that if we ever want a summary of the gospel, we can look at this one powerful sentence here. So, in this summary of the gospel message by Paul, he mentions two foundational truths of first importance, the death of Christ and his resurrection. Now, these two truths, they hold up our salvation. Think about an interstate overpass. You're driving along the interstate, you look up, and there's this elevated road. Usually it has spray paint all over it or whatever. And, um, and it's supported by these foundational pillars that hold it up. Think of the road as our salvation. And the sacrificial death of Jesus is one pillar holding it up. And the triumphant resurrection from the dead is the other pillar holding it up. Romans chapter 4, verse 24 and 25 put it like this. And these verses, most of them are right there on your handout, so you don't have to flip back and forth in your Bibles. Paul, speaking about righteousness here, will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Or, as the New Living Translation puts it, Jesus was raised to life to make us right with God. Two foundational truths. Not only did Paul mention two truths, but he mentioned eyewitness accounts of this resurrection of Christ. Starting in verse 5. And he, the risen Lord Jesus, appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then he appeared to the apostles, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he, all, he appeared also to me. For I am least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. So this was not myth. Remember our context. These people were living, the, the readers of this letter were living in the first century in ancient Greece, very familiar with mythology. And remember, it was written 20 to 25 years after Jesus' resurrection and return to the Father. So think about something in our lives that happened 20 to 25 years ago. Uh, my mind automatically goes back to the tragic day of 9-11. Would anyone here, or anyone period, consider 9-11 myth? No, not at all. And why is that? Even if we did not have the video, the video recordings and the audio recordings, we still would have the eyewitness testimony of the people who lived through it. We could go back to these people, talk to them, and form an idea of what happened. Uh, it's evidence. And that's where the Corinthians find themselves. 
Jesus, after he was resurrected, spent 40 days on this earth walking with his disciples, teaching his disciples, eating with them, breaking bread with them. Um, and then he appeared to more than 500 people at one time. Now, I don't think there's 500 people here, but imagine, that's probably more than all the seats in this room. 500 people saw Jesus at one time. This was not myth. This is something that actually took place. And not only that, but the writer of this letter himself was an eyewitness to the resurrected Jesus. We know a little bit about Paul from these verses. He was persecuting the church of God. He was a Jew who had rejected Jesus as Messiah, and he literally was trying to stop the movement of Christianity, stop the Christian religion. But until what? Until he found out it wasn't religion, it was the truth. He was walking on the road to Damascus, and the risen Lord Jesus appeared to him. And this man did a complete 180. And he went from someone persecuting the church and Christians to someone who would end up dying for his faith. He wrote most of the New Testament. He started pursuing the things of God and preaching the gospel. And that's because he saw the risen Lord Jesus. So this wasn't myth, and this wasn't just doctrine or theology. This was something very personal to these people and to Paul. So what can we conclude from all this? And this is truth number one, if you want to fill out on your half sheet. If Christ was not raised, the gospel message would be incomplete. The resurrection is central to the message of the gospel. Without the resurrection, there would be no good news at all. Verses 12, starting in verse 12 of chapter 15. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And here we go. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain, and we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true, the dead are not raised. Paul here is saying, if Christ wasn't raised, their preaching would be in vain, our faith would be in vain, and they'd be misrepresenting God, that the apostles' testimony would be misrepresenting God. If you look at the book of Acts, which records the, the early Christian church and forming the church as the apostles and disciples of Christ moved out and started preaching the gospel, the, book, or the resurrection is all over the book of Acts. It's a landmark throughout the whole entire book. Here's a, a couple examples. Peter's first sermon in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 23 through 24. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then Paul speaking in chapter 13. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. Paul connecting Old Testament prophecy and writings to the risen Lord Jesus. So I would encourage you to go back to the book of Acts and pay attention to these landmarks. The, the, mentions, the mentioning of the resurrection, it's all over the place. Uh, at points, their preaching and teaching are literally summed up, summarized as resurrection preaching. Stephen, the first Christian martyr, saw the resurrected Jesus as he was being killed for his faith. 
Um, sometimes King David, who foreshadowed Jesus, is connected to Jesus, the risen King of Kings. So go back on your own and take a look at Acts, and you'll be surprised just how uh, central the resurrection was to their mission and their and the gospel they were proclaiming. But why would the gospel be incomplete without the resurrection? Think for a moment. Was it enough that Jesus just died for us? Imagine we could go to the desert today and we could go to a tomb and inside are the bones of Jesus. What would that mean for our faith? Go back to that interstate overpass. Take away one of those pillars. What would happen to, our, what would happen to the road? It would collapse. Or imagine if Christ died, we start to build that road, and then we just stop right there. Let's look at verse 7 of chapter 15. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. It's literally a matter of our salvation. Truth number two, if Christ was not raised, our salvation would be incomplete. In fact, we wouldn't be saved at all. The resurrection is important because without it, we would still be in our sins. According to this text, it wasn't enough that Jesus just died for us, which doesn't sound right to our ears because of how central the cross is to our faith. We sing about it, we teach it, we preach it, we write movies about it, as we should. It's a cornerstone in our faith. But if Jesus was not raised there would be no victory over sin and death. Why is that? Sin and death are a two-sided coin. Romans chapter 5 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. What does Paul mean here? Well, conveniently, we can stay right here in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Move your eyes down a little bit to verses 21 and 22. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Adam's transgression against God in the garden brought sin and its consequences into this world, death. Spiritual death and physical death. Death was not an original part of God's design for man or his creation. It's a result of of sin. To redeem us totally, Jesus had to die as a sacrifice for sins, but he also had to have victory over its consequences, death. Sin and death entered the world through Adam, but praise God, Jesus was victorious over both sin and death, not only through his sacrifice on the cross, but through his victorious resurrection. Look down to verses 55 and 57. And listen to these words. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we see the Lord Jesus Christ, we can have confidence that our salvation is totally accomplished. Truth number three, <laughs> excuse me, since Christ is raised, we have hope for our own personal resurrection of our physical bodies. Since Christ is raised, we have hope for our own personal resurrection. 
Why is it important that our bodies be resurrected? Think about it. When someone passes away, what do we say? We say, oh, they're, they're where? They're in a better place. Uh, no more pain, no more suffering. And you know, for those who die that belong to Christ, that's absolutely true. The, or, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To live is Christ and to die is gain. It's the net gain for a Christian to go home to be with the Lord. Their souls and consciousness go home to be with God. Jesus, as he was dying on the cross, speaking to the repentant thief next to him, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. So this heaven brings us great comfort when we think about our own death event, whatever that would be. But this heaven, this spiritual place with the disembodied souls of God's people, that's not the final hope for us as described in the Bible. In Revelation 21, we see the new heavens and new earth. We see the holy city of Jerusalem coming down from heaven, and we hear Jesus say, Behold, I make all things new. God doesn't abandon his creation. He redeems it, including our physical bodies. Think about this right now. In heaven, in our culture, a lot of times it's this abstract spiritual place, but in heaven, right now, there is a flesh and blood human being. A real human being right now is in heaven. Jesus, after spending 40 days on earth, he ascended back to the Father. He had a real body. Thomas touched his scars on his hand. And it says he's seated at the right hand of God right now. Now, if I don't, I don't know if this is true or not, but was there dirt on his sandals when he went back into heaven? I don't know. But what an interesting thought. Right now in heaven, there's a real human being, flesh and blood, and potentially dirt from our earth. What does that say about what God feels about our physical world here? It says he cares about it. God cares about this world. He doesn't abandon this crea his creation. He's redeeming it, including our physical bodies. This risen Jesus, when we see him, it guarantees and previews our own resurrection. Look at verses 12 through 13 of chapter 15. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So this was really the main issue that Paul was addressing in this chapter. The Corinthians, they had accepted that Christ came back from the dead. But they failed to recognize that that means there would be a resurrection for them from the dead. They failed to see the two as connected. The truth is Jesus represented us in death, but also in life. Christ's resurrection is the first fruits of a future resurrection for all of his followers. Jesus is a type of what is to come for us. Now, I'm not much of a gardener. Taylor and I, we started a garden this year, and it's yet to be determined how it's, we're fighting. You've got to water it, but you can't water it too much. You've got to pull the weeds. There's deer that want to eat it. So I have no idea what's going to happen. But for those of you that know what you're doing, when you plant a tomato plant, do you plant it with hopes of just getting one tomato? Yes, I got one. No, of course not. 
When you see that first tomato on the plant, you anticipate a future harvest to be received. And that's what, Christ, that's what Paul's getting at here with Jesus being the first fruits of a future resurrection. When we see Jesus, we are looking forward to what will happen to all of those who die belonging to Christ. He's a type of what's to come for his people. And because of that, it gives us a hope when we think about the end of our lives. Our souls won't just go home to be with God, but our bodies as well will be remade. So how then does the resurrection change how we grieve? Truth number four. Since Christ is raised, we have comfort in grief. Death is not final, and we have hope during times of loss. As we've mentioned, the thought of our loved ones who belong with Christ, if they pass away, or when they pass away, their souls and their consciousness go home to be with their Savior, their Creator, Jesus Christ. And that brings us great comfort. And now, I, I didn't plan this, and no one here at the journey planned this at all. This was God's providence. But today is actually the three-year anniversary of my mother's passing. And it brings us great comfort knowing that, you know, as her body was failing, her faith was being remade. And right now, she's in heaven with the Lord. Absolutely. And I know some of you have had great losses in your life. Certainly. But we're still here, and a big part of them is still here as well. When we go to that funeral, and we see that body in the casket, or we see the urn, or, we see, or if we're there when they take their final breaths, it breaks our hearts. It shatters us to pieces when we come face to face with the ugliness of death. And death is ugly, is it not? During funerals, we... We call it celebrations of life. We get that sentiment. We're celebrating the person. We make it beautiful with flowers and we dress them in their best outfits. But we're really not celebrating death. Death is tragic. Death is ugly. And we think about what happens after time to that body. It goes into the ground. It's, that is not the glory that God intended for people who bear his image. And without it, without the resurrection of Christ, the Bible says that there is no hope for those who have died. Verses 18 of chapter 15. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. What a devastating and horrifying thought. That death, decay, and separation from God is all that's waiting for us after this world for those that have died. Think about that. Let that sink in for a second. That's terrible. That's terrifying. However, we know the truth, do we not? We know what happened on the third day. Jesus came out of that tomb, and in a real sense, he brought his people with him. Those that belong with Christ will experience a resurrection like his own. Scripture gives, us a mo uh, scripture gives us a vision of this moment when all of the ugliness and sadness of death will be overshadowed by the glory of Christ in his second coming. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. 
But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will raise first. And we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Praise God for this picture, for this vision that we can hold on to when we lose a loved one. That not only if they belong to Christ, their souls are with God, but all of this ugliness and sadness, we won't have to go to... Think about it. When we go and try to remember our loved ones, where do we go? We go to the place where their body is laid. It's because it's important. But praise God, because Christ, when he returns, that body is going to come back. Amen. Praise God for that. So as we begin to wrap up and move into a time of application, truth number five, because Jesus is alive, we have comfort in life's present suffering. Now, we've already seen that the resurrection gives us confidence that our sins are forgiven. Salvation is totally accomplished. We have a hope after this life for ourselves and for our loved ones. But what does the resurrection do for me today? Where I find myself today, or all of you, where you find yourself. How does it help me tomorrow when I go back to work? It's a terrible feeling around 8 o'clock on a Sunday night knowing that you've got to go back to work the next day. But... Taylor and I, in one of the rooms in our home, we have a massive mirror, and this thing is heavy, and it's got a wooden frame, and it's beautiful, and it's decorated, and it looks expensive, but I found out as I was doing this that Taylor bought it at a thrift store, so that's just like my wife to take someone else's throwaways and make it something beautiful. That's why I love her. Um, but this thing is heavy. It has weight. Whenever I hung it on the wall, I just didn't find a random place on the drywall and slap a nail on there and throw it up there. No. I went to my toolbox. For some reason, my toolbox is on the ground. I, <laughs> I get my stud finder out, and Taylor screams. Because you know what? That thing started going off as soon as I held it in my hand. Hey. <laughs> but... Dad joke, but anyways. Anyways, so no, I took that stud finder and I went to the wall and I located that beam on the wall and I took a nail or a screw and I anchored that mirror to the wall so that it had the support it needed as forces pulled down on it. And that's what the resurrection does for us. It's an anchor for our hearts and our souls. It's something we hang our hats on during life's present suffering. Life is full of suffering, is it not? Death, job loss, wars, famine. We know all about sickness now after two or three years of that or political unrest. We know all about that. Um, and then for the Christian, there's a particular type of suffering. Suffering for your faith in Christ. Jesus often talks about being persecuted for following him, taking up your cross, cross of death and suffering and following him. Life is full of suffering. And you know what? Without the resurrection, it would mean absolutely nothing. 
it would mean absolutely nothing. All of our suffering would be meaningless if Christ didn't come out of that grave. Verse 19 of chapter 15. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of people most to be pitied. Paul saying, if Christ didn't come out of the grave, all of this would be for nothing. All of this suffering. And Paul knew suffering. He, this man knew the reality of suffering for his faith. Listen to what the Lord says to Ananias in Damascus right after Paul's conversion. Acts chapter 9. Go, this is the Lord speaking here, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now that doesn't sound great. Uh, that does not sound like the prosperity gospel. Suffer for the sake of my name. And he did suffer. If you want to know more about Paul's testimony, go to Second uh, Corinthians. This man was beaten several times, thrown in jail, shipwrecked. He had a mysterious thorn in his side. And he eventually died for his faith. But where did Paul have this hope to endure and persevere? Where's the strength that he had to endure all of this? It came because he saw the risen Lord Jesus. He knew that Jesus was alive. He knew that because Jesus was alive, everything that Jesus said about who he was, what he came to do, was true. He knew that God was pleased with what Christ had done. That he had peace with God now because Jesus is alive. Paul boasted in his weakness because he knew that God's grace is sufficient for him and for us. That God's power is made perfect in weakness. That all things were working together for good for those that love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. That Jesus Christ is alive and that changes absolutely everything. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 verses 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And you know, Paul wasn't the only apostle who died for his faith. Uh, most of them did. First, uh, Peter speaking in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What's this glory they're speaking of? What's this living hope? He has a name. It's a person. It's Jesus Christ. And we anchor our hearts to him so that we have the strength to persevere through this life and its suffering. Because Jesus lives, we can face tomorrow, as the old hymn says. And that's absolutely true. Knowing that he who raised... This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into... His, bring us with you into his presence. So in conclusion, why is the resurrection important? Because we look at it, we look at the risen Lord Jesus, and we see the fulfillment of God's goodness towards us. That our sins are forgiven. That there's life beyond the grave. That God loves us, that he's for us. Paul wrote um, that the Son of God loved him and gave himself for him. And that's what we have. We are not people pitied. We are God's redeemed children. Every tear will be wiped away. 
as Revelation says, the brokenness of our bodies, the brokenness of our minds, and the brokenness of this world will be completely undone when Christ returns and we received glorified bodies like his own. So with Paul, meet the risen Lord Jesus Christ today through prayer, through the Holy Spirit, through his word. And in closing, I want to quote a hymn that I think we're getting ready to sing right after this. But listen to the words here. O death, where is your sting? That sounds familiar, huh? Because it comes from this chapter. O hell, where is your victory? O church, come stand in the light. The glory of God has defeated the night. O death, where is your sting? O hell, where is your victory? O church, come stand in the light. Our God is not dead. He's alive. He's alive. Christ is risen from the dead. And I love this line. Trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. And we're so thankful for your salvation through Christ. We're so thankful we can look at Jesus and know that you love us. Know that you're for us. Know that our sins are completely atoned for Know that you're building a future for us. Know that everything sad will be undone. Help us to anchor our hearts to that. Help us to know you better. Lord, bless your people as they go from this place. Give them strength to persevere throughout the week this week. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. (laughs)